And thank you for thank you for braving the winter wonderland. I realize at this point it's just slush and just a mess out there, but but thank you for for making it in. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I live my family and I we live at the bottom of of like a steep hill and then in this cul-de-sac at the bottom and and typically when it snows like it did this week we're kind of stuck sometimes we'll remember to actually park a car outside a few streets down so that we can get out but it's just it's we're kind of stuck for at least a couple of days and so we we kind of were and eventually we needed groceries so we actually got a car out and and drove the car out to get some groceries and, and brought the the groceries back but we weren't ready to, to, to brave the hill down to our house yet. We just, I was okay driving out where I felt like I, you just have power and you're climbing and all those things. But, but when you're going down and you're just, there's nothing to stop you but cars and houses and kids, you just think it's probably a better idea just to park it outside and just walk back. But we had all these groceries. And so we're, we, we brought a sled, right? And so we just put all the groceries in the sled and then I just became like the, the mule or the reindeer, you named the... the you know, the pack animal, and then dragging the, the groceries from the car all the way to our house. I mean, it wasn't that far. Granted, this is, this is not like a sob story, but it took some work. And by the time we got to the house, I was excited to, to unload the groceries, to get them out of there and to, stop, to have to stop dragging them around. And I don't know about you, but I, there are times in life when I feel like I'm just dragging some things around, things that are fantastic, like, like groceries, things that are, that are life-giving and, and sustaining, but things that are maybe even good in some ways, but they just, I feel like I'm just dragging some things around. And, and to be honest, that's often how we enter into the, the season of, of Lent. Like we are entering the season of Lent. This, this Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent. And for those of you who are, where maybe Lent feels like a, something new or you're not even sure what, what we're talking about, it's just, it's just this ancient and gracious invitation to walk this 40-day this journey in a tangible way with Jesus as we prepare ourselves to, to remember and to recognize and to celebrate Easter. And often when in Lent we talk about like fasting and, and praying and, and giving to the poor. These are some of the common practices that we have in Lent, and often it's about like giving a few things up, maybe a, a favorite beverage, maybe a, a favorite activity. It's just the, a way of just kind of letting go of some, some of the burden, letting go of some of the things that we are just dragging along, whether it's good, bad, or, or ugly, in a way that would prepare our hearts to be able to recognize and to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And I mean, maybe the question for us is like, why 40 days? I think I could figure that out in a couple. But I love how Aaron Diamani says it in his book. Uh, it's called The Good of Giving Up. And if you want a book about Lent, like to learn what Lent is and how to just engage in it, it's a fantastic book. It's called The Good of Giving Up. But he says this. He says, we need more than a Good Friday service two days in advance to get into the state of mind and heart to celebrate Jesus' victory over death and hell. He says, we cannot prepare for Easter over a weekend. No, we need to walk a longer pilgrimage to get ready. And that's what we do in this, in this season of, of Lent, these 40 days, is we're just walking along with Jesus, moving towards Easter. Again, just preparing our hearts, our minds, and our souls to, to celebrate his victory over death, his victory over hell on Easter Sunday. And again, it could involve like letting go of some things, Maybe it actually could involve like adding in a few things. Like we have these uh, Lent 
journals. They're really just a journal with a, a Lent reading plan over on, on the table by the offering box, and you can feel free to grab one. It's just simply a way of, of getting into God's Word over the next 40 days to, to allow that to maybe replace some of the things that we are fasting from, some of the things that we are letting go of to be filled in with with the Word of God in this season. Maybe you want to find a a Lent devotional. We have a couple options on our website. You can find some resources there. Or maybe you just simply want to enter into a few more opportunities to pray in the days ahead. Just maybe adding like a, a moment of prayer into each of your days over the next 40 days. Maybe it could be super simple what you do to, in order to prepare yourself. But here's my, my invitation and my encouragement to you is that in these next 40 days, step into something. Step into, into something that will help you walk with Jesus in these 40 days as, as you move tangibly towards Easter. That's my encouragement to you this morning. Now, uh, last week we started a, a series in Philippians. And the, this, this letter that Paul wrote to a, a group of Jesus followers in, in Philippi, which is now in kind of modern day Greece, but at that point it was a, a Roman colony. Now, as, as a Roman colony, it meant that this, this group in Philippi, in the city of Philippi, they were, they were intended to be loyal to Rome. And in doing so, it meant that they had to be loyal to the, the emperor. And so Paul is, is sending this letter because he's in, in prison. And, and at the heart of his letter, he, is, he wants to express to these, this family of his, his desire for them. His desire that they would have minds that would know Jesus. His desire that they would have hearts that would love Jesus. Jesus and his desire that they would have lives that live Jesus. And at the end of the beginning of this letter that we looked at last week, he prays this prayer that just kind of encapsulates all of those things. And and in fact, we spent some time just praying that last Sunday and praying that over some people here at, at church, just this prayer, this desire that Paul had for these people. And here's what it is. It'll be up on the screen as well. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ Jesus' return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And so that, this morning, is is where we pick up. And so if you'd be willing, if you're willing and able, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read from Philippians chapter 1, starting in, in verse 12. And, and this morning we're going to do something just a little bit different with that. I'm going, to, I'm going to read that passage, and you can just follow along in your Bible or on the screen. But when I finish with that, I'm going to read um, verse 5 from chapter 2, which introduces, which introduces the Christ hymn. And as we talked about last week, the Christ hymn found in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It's like the heartbeat of, of this letter for Paul. It's, it's what Paul is pointing them to. It's what Paul desires for them. It's, it's who Paul is hoping we would become like Jesus himself. And so after I read Philippians 1, 12 through 18, then I'm going to read verse 5, which says, Now have, in all your relationships have the mindset of, of Christ Jesus. And then together, this is where you do this audience participation. Together we're going to read the Christ hymn. Because I challenged you and encouraged you last week to begin committing that passage to memory, to begin sowing that, planting that seed deep within your heart and soul, and it'll start as we do that together today. So does everybody, does that make sense? You guys all on the same page? All right, Philippians uh, chapter 1, 
starting at verse 12. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and, and, elders, sorry, and sisters have become confident in the Lord and, and dare all the time to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or pure or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. So here's Paul writing to what he calls his, his family. He says, my, my brothers and sisters, but that word is better translated into families or into, into siblings. And, and this wasn't just a, a nicety. He wasn't just kind of being nice in his letter. Paul believed that, that the, his, this group of Jesus followers were a, a Jesus family. And that he was a part of this Jesus family with this group of Jesus followers in Philippi. So he was very intentional with his desire to say, hey, family, this is, this is a letter for me. And, I, and as a good sibling, maybe as a good son, he was sending them an update. He wanted to let them know this is, this is how things are going. This is maybe how, how I am doing. But, but in that update, he didn't give them an update on, on himself, really. He didn't say, hey, you know, prison's been kind of rough, or he didn't say, like, my, I'm hungry, or I'm doing well. The only thing he, he updated them on was the gospel. As we just read, the only thing he really updated them on was, was the gospel. And we might ask, like, why is Paul updating them on the gospel? Well, if we were to go back into the beginning of this letter and look at verse 5, when Paul was kind of greeting them and, and just kind of saying some great, great things about them. One of the things he says in verse 5, he says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the verse, first day until now. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now in that passage, there's a word that would maybe seem insignificant if you were just to read through it and and, but that word is, is partnership. 
Now, the word partnership in, in the Greek is, is koinonia. And often in our Bibles, this word koinonia, it's translated into fellowship. Now, fellowship can just sound like kind of an old and, and churchy word, which means we're going to stay after church and have cookies and punch, right? Like in, in the fellowship hall. And, and typically, the punch is the kind that leaves like the red mark on your lips. Like delicious, but a, but a little embarrassing at the same time. But but for Paul, this word meant so much more than just simply a time of, of connection after a church service. And for this family in Philippi, it meant so much more as well. It meant to live in close mutual relationship. It meant to live participating in life together. This is what it looked like, and this is what it meant to be family. So when Paul introduces them or, or writes to them as dear family, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what he means, this, this shared life together, this participating in, in life with, with one another. It's what it meant to be family for Paul. And we see it, and we will see it throughout the letter that he wrote to the Philippians. We'll see it in, in the weeks and in the days ahead. It's a, it's a theme that will come back up. But, but here is, is Paul's update to his family. He says a few things. He says, despite my chains, despite my imprisonment, he says that the gospel continues to advance. He says the gospel is, is progressing. It is, it is going and it is moving. He said it's, it's actually going so well that, that as everyone knows that I am in, in these chains for Christ, that even the, the imperial guard, which would be like the secret service for the emperor, even they know that Paul is, is there in chains for the gospel. And even the, the family, the Jesus family there in Rome is beginning to step up and to become more brave and to have more courage that they're actually willing to speak about it and talk about King Jesus in, in their spaces and in their places. They're growing in boldness simply because of, of what they see Paul doing in, his, in this moment, in his chains, in this imprisonment. And in that moment, it's, Paul says that I rejoice. <laughs> I rejoice about all of this. Even from his prison cell, even from what wouldn't have been a, a happy or good or healthy situation, Paul rejoices because of what is taking place all around him. And the question maybe would be, why? I mean, we kind of have some obvious answers, but I think for us to best understand why Paul could rejoice in this moment, it would be to understand three words that are found in this passage. The first word is, is gospel. The second word is, is preach. And the third word is Christ. Now, the word gospel, when we hear that, maybe our mind immediately jumps to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like these are, these are the gospels that that we read, right? And, and they are the gospel because they tell us the story of Jesus. But then maybe we also, when we hear someone talk about the gospel, we think of it as maybe a, a plan of, of salvation, how to, how to get from, from here on earth to get ourselves up to heaven. You know, we recognize that we're a sinner. We confess our sins. We put our, our hope and our faith in, in Jesus and we trust him for eternal life and then we, we can spend eternity with him in heaven. And, and it is that as well, since salvation is found in Jesus and in his story. But, but for Paul, the word gospel had such a more robust meaning, and, and his understanding of it was so much more than just simply the, the story of Jesus as told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which he didn't even have with him at that point, or even just a simplified version of how we get, from, how we get saved, how we get to, to heaven. His understanding of the gospel would go back to the, the story that was found in the Old Testament. His understanding of the, the, 
of the gospel comes out of the word in Greek for gospel, which is euangelion. And this word, in, it, as it was used, was actually a word of, of announcement. It was a word of pronouncement. It's often, uh, it, it's often translated as good news. And it was this pronouncement of, of a king. I mean, and we don't really have much uh, frame of reference for this since we don't live in a, in a monarchy. But, but what you could imagine was that when a new king was, was established, when a new king took the throne, that, that they would send out those who would communicate and who would announce this good news, whether people believed it was good news or not, or whether or not it was actually good news for them or not. It was this proclamation of a good news of a king. And this was news that whether, again, it was good or bad for the person, it was news that would change everything. And so when Paul would use this word gospel, this word euangelion, he was putting a frame of of reference of of a pronouncement of a new king, a pronouncement of a new kingdom. And a proclamation of that. You see, for Paul, um, his understanding was maybe a little bit more robust or deep than, than ours typically is. And he doesn't even explain it very well here in Philippians. But he does talk about it more in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. If you have a Bible, you can flip there to look at this passage just briefly at It'll be up on the screen as well. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about the gospel. Starting in verse 1, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Now most of this, or at least the majority of it, probably sounds familiar to us, right? Like we, when we think of Jesus, we think of Jesus who, who died for our sins, who was placed in a tomb, who three days later was, was resurrected and, and offered new life, and that that this is a new life. This is what we celebrate when we come to Easter and in 40 days from now as we make our way through the Lenten season. But, but Paul adds this line in there where he says, in accordance to or according to the scriptures. And maybe for us, like, we, that makes sense. Like, we, we know it's in here somewhere. We know it's obviously in the New Testament. But again, Paul didn't have all of this in front of him. So what does it mean when he says according to the scriptures? Is this part of what he's talking about in the Old Testament? Well, N.T. Wright explains this really well. He explains it about how this is the, the, the salvation unleashing story of Jesus that's found in the story of God, who brings the completion of this story to Israel and it's found in the story of the Old Testament. Let me just share just a little portion of, of what N.T. Wright writes in his book, Simply Good News. And, and if you are looking for a book to better understand the gospel, I would recommend this one, Simply Good News. And uh, the King Jesus Gospel by Scott McKnight. But here's what N.T. Wright says. He says, Paul's scriptures were the Jewish scripture of the day. 
what Christians now call the Old Testament. Paul, like many Jews of the time, read, read these scriptures as a single great story. But it was a story in search of an ending. It was about how God, who had created the world, called a single people, Israel, to be his people, but not for their own sake. He called them and made them special so that through them he could rescue the world, the human race, and the whole creation from the appalling mess that had come about. The trouble was, the people who were supposed to be carrying forward this divine rescue operation needed rescuing themselves. They shared in the same mess, the same rebellion against God, the same corruption and wickedness as the rest of humankind. But their scriptures still spoke of God doing a new thing, rescuing the rescuers and getting the whole plan back on track. Some passages, including some famous ones, spoke of this happening through a coming king who would be anointed with God's own powerful spirit in the way that monarchs were anointed with oil. This anointed one would embody the best news anyone had ever heard. He would rescue Israel, and with Israel, all the human race, and with the human race, all the world. You see, Jesus was, was sent as part of, of a rescue plan, a plan that would restore, a plan that would redeem, a plan that would heal, a plan that would forgive, a plan that would bring back together to wholeness what has been broken from virtually the, the beginning. He would come to complete the story. And Paul understood this gospel in its context of, of a greater story of God and a greater story of, of humankind. And he knew that this story, this gospel was one that would need to be shared, that would have to be shared. And so the next word that, that we would talk about is, is the word preach. He talks about that Christ being preached. Now, when Paul says that Christ is is preached, it was different than what we often see on, like on Sunday morning when maybe like the giving of a sermon, maybe when someone is just teaching on a, on a biblical topic or, or maybe worse, when someone's just trying to help you to figure out a way to live a, a better life by, by following Jesus. But Paul's preaching was so much different than, than all of that. His preaching was talking about a proclamation. When he talked about preaching, it was to proclaim, to announce, to pronounce this good news the arrival of, of a new king, to shout aloud the story of Jesus as the saving news of God, both with your words, but also with your life. I mentioned last week that, I that the week prior I was, I was in Togo in, in West Africa and with a, a number of, of pastors and, and leaders, and, and one of them made this comment related to the gospel that I just thought was significant and I wanted to share it with you this morning. He said, he said, the use of our gifts, abilities, and opportunities to save our communities through restoration, through redemption, through justice, displays the truth of the gospel we preach. Let me just read that again to you because I didn't put it up on the screen. He says, the use of our gifts, abilities, and opportunities to save our communities displays the truth of the gospel we preach. See, the gospel that, that Paul is talking about is certainly a gospel that is proclaimed, pronounced, and, pro and 
and spoken with words, but it's also a gospel that is, that is lived out in the lives of those who would follow King Jesus. See, Paul, in this moment, writing from prison, he wasn't put in chains because he was trying to um, get people into heaven. He was in chains because he was proclaiming a new king. He was in chains because he was submitting himself to King Jesus. He was committing himself to this new Lord and King. He was obeying himself, this King. And he was inviting others to do the same. The question at this point for us is the same question that came in Psalm 24 that we read this morning. Who is this King? Paul, in this passage and throughout this letter, would identify this King as as Christ. Now, the word Christ in Philippians chapter 1 is used over 15 times. <laughs> in, the, in the letter to the Philippians itself, it's used over 30 times altogether. Like Christ is at the center of what Paul is talking about in this letter to this family of Jesus followers in Philippi. Now, we talked about this last week that the, the word Christ in, in the Greek, it's, it's Christos. And, and it's, the, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which is this promised and anointed king. It's the the promised and anointed king that we just read N.T. Wright was talking about. This promised and anointed king who would bring healing and redemption and and rescue for for both Israel, but also for all humankind and and for the world itself. You see, in this letter, Paul is, is pointing the Philippians, and honestly, I think he's pointing us towards Christ. And when he's pointing us towards Christ, as we talked about last week, we can actually change that word Christ into king. And when he talks about Christ Jesus, we can talk about King Jesus. And when he's pointing us towards Christ, when he's pointing us towards the king, when he's pointing us towards King Jesus, he's pointing us towards the kingdom. He's pointing us towards the the kingdom of God. He's pointing us towards a new king. And pointing us towards a new kingdom. Now, every kingdom has three things, right? It has, it has a king, it has citizens, and then it has the land. Now, the kingdom of God has the same three things. It has the king, which is King Jesus. It has the, the citizens, which are the, those who follow Jesus. And then it has the land, which could be described as the place where they embody, the citizens embody the kingdom of God. The place where the citizens embody the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kevin O'Brien, who's a Jesuit priest, he says this about the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is not simply what awaits us in heaven at some time in the future. But by becoming one of us, Christ, King Jesus, God revealed how the kingdom of God breaks into history here and now. Because in this letter, honestly, more than, more than anything, Paul wants people He wants all people to know King Jesus, to love King Jesus, and to follow King Jesus. And when he sees that happening, when he sees that taking place from his prison cell, when he sees people knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus, even though he's in chains, even though he's suffering because of what he's doing, he he rejoices in the moment. He rejoices in what is taking place in the lives of of people and how God is continuing to work in that space, in and through all of what's going on. 
Because for us, I think here's the thing is that what Paul was announcing was not just like this, a new religion. He wasn't just trying to get people to, to make a shift in religion or to change a, to a new set of beliefs. What Paul was proclaiming, as I've said, is, is a new king. And with a new king meant a new life in the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And this is the kingdom that Jesus himself invites us into. We read this in the beginning of, of Mark's gospel in, in chapter 1, found in verse 14 and 15, where it says that after John w- was put in prison, it says that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Did you catch that? Proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. And this is what he says. This is what Jesus proclaimed. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe this UN galleon. Repent and believe the proclamation that there is a new king, there is a new kingdom, and there is a new life to experience within the kingdom of God. It was a gospel that would change everything for those who would step into it. Trevor Hudson would describe life in the kingdom this way. He says that it is an intimate life in which we can come to know God personally as Abba. It is a shared life through which we can come to discover ourselves as part of God's family. It is a transformational life in which we are gradually changed into the people that God wants us to be. It is a powerful life in which God acts together with us for the good of others and the healing of the world. It is a loving life in which we can become more responsive to those around us. And above all, it is an eternal life that cannot be snuffed out by death. The kingdom of God, it's it's not a destination. It's a way of living and it's a way of, of being in Christ. And according to Jesus, to enter the joy of life in the kingdom, we need, to be op- we need to open ourselves to repentance. We need to open ourselves to trust. Now, both repentance and, and confession, those things can, we can kind of just kind of get a little bit nervous when those words come up. We just maybe aren't comfortable with those ideas and we're not comfortable like doing those things, repenting and, and confessing those kinds of, it's hard for us. We don't like to admit when we're, when we've said something wrong. We don't like to admit when we've done something wrong. We don't like to admit when we've thought something wrong. We don't like to admit that to ourselves. We definitely don't like to admit that to, to one another. We don't like to admit that even to, to God himself. So we hesitate when we hear the words like, like repentance and, and confession. And yet, this is what Jesus invites us. This is how he invites us into this kingdom life. He says, repent and believe the good news. And, and by repentance, it's not just simply this, this somber, guilt-ridden, shame-filled moment of like, I am the worst, but rather it's, it's just changing the way that we think and understand who God is, who we are, what he's done for us, and what life in the kingdom looks like. And it may involve like sharing with God and sharing with others some of the things that have, that have held us back some of the things that have broken some of that relationship and, and the trust that we have, admitting some of the things that are, that are weighing us down and keeping us from following Jesus with a whole heart and a joy-filled life. And so this morning, I believe Jesus is, is inviting us to create a little bit of space to do just that, 
knowing that he sets us free to fully experience the kingdom of God when we enter into the kingdom of God through just some simple repentance and, and confession. And, and the way that we can do that doesn't have to be awkward or embarrassing or, or just or even hard. We just have to enter into it with God himself. So I want to invite the, the worship team to come up. And as I do, I want to share with you from a, a book that I've been reading from over the last, oh, I don't know, three or four months. It's called A, a Diary of a Private Prayer by John Bailey. And, and it feels weird to enter into someone else's private prayers. But what I love about this book is it, he, he basically writes out a morning prayer and, a, and an evening prayer. And I believe these were just his his prayers. And, and the morning typical prayers were typically about like, Lord, like enter into me, live through me. I want to, to follow you. I want to love you. Just kind of like starting your day. And then the evening prayers were more, like, more reflective. Like, Lord, I want to look back on this day. I want to understand maybe where I did things well, maybe where I, I did things not so well. But I want to, in that moment, I want to receive the grace of your forgiveness. If Jesus, if you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins according to the scriptures, I want to I wanna receive that. If, and if in order for me to receive that, I need to step into just a moment of like confessing some of these things and, and repenting of some of these things, I, I want to be willing to do that. Before I lay my head down to, to sleep, I want to do that. And, and if you are looking for a way to engage in, in the prayer practice, which we'll talk about in a couple months, so don't get too far ahead. But this would be a great book for you to consider. But I want to read this, this prayer that he writes out in one evening. And as I do, I want to just invite you to, to maybe just reflect on it, to see what maybe strikes a chord in your own heart and soul. So as, as I prepare to read it, would you just maybe sit up in your seat, take a deep breath, prepare to, your heart and your mind to hear from the Lord and through his Holy Spirit. Here's the prayer. I bless you, most holy God, for your unfathomable love. Through that love, you enable your spirit to meet with my spirit, so that I, a weak and wandering mortal, can have ready access to your heart, the heart of the one who moves the stars. With bitterness and anguish of heart, I acknowledge before you the ugly and selfish thoughts that I so often allow to enter my mind and to influence my actions. I confess, O oh God, that often I let my mind wander down unworthy and forbidden ways. That often I deceive myself as to where my first duty lies. That often I, I by concealing my real motives, I pretend to be better than I am. That often my honesty is only a matter of policy that often my affection for my friends is only a refined way of caring for myself, that often, that often my sparing of my adver adversary is due to nothing more than cowardice, that often I do good deeds only so that they can be seen by others and avoid evil ones only because I fear they may be found out. O oh Lord, whose love in the human heart can burn like a fire that is all that is shameful and evil, let me now grasp your personal or your perfect righteousness and make it my own. Blot out all my disobedience and let my sins be covered. Help me to feel your hand upon my life, cleansing me from the stain of past wrongdoings, 
loosening, loosening from me the grip of evil habits, strengthening me in new habits of pure heartedness, and guiding my footsteps in the way of eternal life. Oh God, lead me in a battle against my secret sins. Fence around my life with a shield of hope and commitment and let Christ be formed in my heart through faith. All this I ask for his holy name's sake. Amen. Would you stand with me? And as we close in, in a song, last week I extended an invitation for anyone who felt like they needed to be prayed for. And I just simply prayed the prayer that we started with this morning. I want to extend that invitation again this morning. If you are in a, in a space, a place where you have something you would like to be prayed for, that, that invitation is open. I'm just going to be over here on the side. If you just simply want the words of Paul, that his prayer for the Philippians, that they would know Jesus, that they would love Jesus, that they would follow Jesus. If you just want that his simple prayer prayed over your life, then, then I want to make that available to you as well. Otherwise, uh, let's pray this song of, of praise to Jesus now.